Good morning and welcome into the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. We have a phenomenal show planned for you this morning. We got Nathan in studio. We got myself, Ethan Hannaford, in studio. And we have Logan joining us in studio this morning. Logan, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Oh, you know, I'm doing all all right. I think we had your mic off there, so we'll get that again. You doing all right this morning? Yeah, I'm doing good. How about yourself? There it goes. It sounds sounds great. So much better. Yes, much better. It's, It's better when, you know... Uh, head head boss man. When the is microphone bit, is on, is a little bit you know prepared. So we got plenty of good stuff to be chatting about today, including the Cardinals. You know what are we gonna? What have we seen so far from them in spring training? The Blues, four wins out of nowhere. I think our our little pump up speech form worked last week, Nathan. Because they heard us. Everything is just going smooth as planned now. Hayden C is going to be joining us at ten thirty five. The creator and the runner of STL Sports Central, the largest uh, page, uh, fan page in St. Louis for St. Louis Sports. So be sure you're going to want to be in here and listening to that. Once again, 89.9 or Facebook Live, we have them both available for you. But, you know, let's go ahead and let's start it off with, uh, let's start it off with some Lewis and Clark sports talk. We are, you know, Lewis and Clark sports, it's, we're happy to say that we are back at it and, uh, Finally, getting some opportunities to call great. some games. It's been great to get out to games for basketball. We got baseball this week. It's you know been great getting back out to the fields, the courts. Absolutely, the lose. You know, the basketball team off to a rough start, and you know facing potentially a little bit of delay because of COVID. I know you talked about the girls' basketball team, is Nathan. But let's go ahead and let's focus on the baseball team for a few minutes because we were able to cover their first game. We're going to be covering them once again today. Uh, myself and former sports director Luke Clevenger are going to be covering it. Um, this well, afternoon at noon, yeah, we'll be we're looking forward to having Luke um, back on the call. Um, so, but they're facing off against Kirkwood, so it should be a good game. Lewis and Clark looking for their first win of the season. So is Kirkwood, so it should be a good battle. But uh, you know, we covered that game against Swick, the game one of the doubleheader just a few days ago, I believe. Yeah, it was Thursday, Thursday yeah. afternoon. Um, losing four nothing and eleven to five in both of those games. Like I said, we have had an opportunity to cover game one. Nathan, what were some takeaways for you uh, from that first game? Well, I just thought that you know Swick had already been playing this season. They've already had five games under their belt, and I thought that experience played a really big factor. You know, you mentioned it on the broadcast, Ethan. Lewis and Clark just hadn't seen that live pitching, that live you know action that Swick had already seen this season, and that's such a big difference, especially at this level of you know junior college baseball. Getting that live experience, that live practice, getting used to those. You know, those eye level changes at the plate, getting used to, you know, as a pitcher having to, you know, work around different guys, work around different bats that you're not used to. In general, I just think Lewis and Clark looked, you know, a little out of practice, you know, a little out of, I should say, live practice, because obviously they've been practicing, but, you know, just hasn't had the live games. They looked a bit better in the second game. I got to catch a couple innings of that before heading over to the women's basketball game on Thursday night. Uh, They looked a little better second game. They got. You know, the offense is going a little bit more. I think there's some positives to take away there. You know, Blake Blake uh, Blake Burris had three hits in that second game. Jason Serrata had an RBI double. You know, they bo- both those guys had a stolen base. They got to show off that speed. You know, I think Lewis and Clark has a lot to look forward to this season for baseball. I completely agree. I really liked what I saw from the Blazers in some perspectives. Other perspectives, not so much. Um, and But like we talked about, I think a lot of that comes with 
adjustments and it's been a while since they have seen that live BP that is against their own pitchers that doesn't have the turtle you know shell cage <laughs> above them so I think that a lot of that you know the warming up of the bats I think that will improve and I'm looking forward to seeing if it does today but you know one thing that I really did enjoy watching was the starting pitching and the relief pitching for the Blazers had some really good quality stuff there in MJ Hoffman and Adam Stilts uh, what can you say about their performances the other day, Nathan. So yeah, you know they kind of were unfortunate. They had you know some errors on defense, kind of unfortunately put Lewis and Clark kind of out of the game, put them behind an eight ball early on, and you know those errors those they lead to runs and they lead to games lost. And unfortunately, that's not really on you know the guys we saw on the mound. I think MJ Hoffman, Blake Stilts, they they both looked you know really solid on the mound, especially in a first outing against a team that has a lot more experience than them. So I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can produce, you know, moving on in the season. I think they both had, you know, good control of their stuff. Generally, I think they they were working kind of in and out of the zone, trying to change those eye levels. You know, again, they, they only held this, a SWIC team that is, you know, very potent offense, the SWIC team, as we saw, you know, how many runs they put up so far this season. You know, it's a potent offense that they held in check in that first game. And I think they can kind of hang their hat on that pitching performance completely agree uh i really liked what i saw from that uh from the pitching i thought that stilts and hoffman did a good job keeping him in check i thought that stilts who started off that game what i thought was so impressive was several times he found himself in trouble early but he was able to get out of just about everything without having like too much trouble i mean he had his moments where you know i mean obviously that lead slowly grew but he was able to avoid the big inning the most they allowed in one inning was two runs and that was huge because lewis and clark until you know the the latter ends of that inning where it's like all right are they going to be able to hit they had an opportunity to be in that game and the starting pitching did a really good job for their first game keep in mind swick has now played i want to say like six or seven games they say including the doubleheader they've played seven games now compared to lewis and clark when it was their first two so that's definitely something that you have to uh keep in mind also but that starting pitching i tell you what uh, you look at it from the the perspective even of swick they they were I mean dominant I mean they were able to control Lewis and Clark they were able to uh, I mean strike I mean Lewis and Clark now leading or top in the country I think they're like sixth in the country or so in strikeouts because of and that's because of Swick and the performance they were able to put on but I think that as the season continues continue to um, deepen those counts don't be afraid to let the count go deep but at the same time if you have an opportunity don't be afraid to attack first pitch. A lot of the times that first pitch is going to be, and I don't want to sound like a baseball coach out here. We're supposed to talk about sports, not you know tell them what they need to do better. But I think that a lot of opportunities, as someone that played baseball, don't be afraid to let that first pitch, first, first pitch fastball go by. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned that first pitch fastball. That was a pretty common thread in the game that we got to see on Thursday. A lot of get-me-over first pitch fastballs that get ahead and counts. And a lot of times guys were looking at that pitch and, you know, that's an, you know, probably a product of the early season. I think as you know, the Blazers feel a little more comfortable to play and dig in a little more and feel a lot more confident, you'll start to see some more swinging at those first pitch uh, fastballs there. Yeah, I agree. And it'll be interesting also to see um, how they perform today again on the pitching perspective against the team that's already, you know, four games into the season, hit, I think, six home runs in uh, the Kirkwood Eagles. Uh, they have, oh, man. Their power, their cleanup guy, um, shoot, 
I'm blanking on the name right now, but has three home runs already to start the season. He's batting it's pretty good. And he's batting 500. So I mean, like, I mean, that's something you should probably be interesting keep to see, in mind, uh, see how, they, how, how the wind plays a factor out there at Godfrey Ballpark. I mean, I think we kind of dealt with that a little bit uh, during our broadcast on Thursday, and that it, went, that it, went it, it played play. with. Not only did it play with our microphones, it plays but with the outfielders. It plays with the outfielders. The sun, also. the sun field is obviously a really big deal out at Godfrey Ballpark. You know, a guy who can hit the ball to the gaps or can hit home runs, you know, makes the outfielders work way harder at Godfrey Ballpark just because of the you know the natural elements there. It's almost like pl- it's kind of like playing a Wrigley Field to a degree, where the wind and the sun really affect the way the game shapes out and the way the game really takes place. Even got the. Ivy, Ivy fence? Yeah, it's got the Ivy on the fence, too. Great comparison. Yeah, exactly. Let's shift for a couple minutes towards... I think it's like 90 years old, too. It's pretty sounds, old. Sounds about right. Let's go ahead and let's switch over to um, Lewis and Clark basketball for a minute. Uh, the Blazers off to a really rough start to the season, but I think that there is some potential there to build on if your head coach, Doug Stotler... You got some solid pieces that have shown that they are capable of scoring. Um, I think they have four guys still averaging double digits per game, which is a good um, quality to keep in mind. And I think that there's some pieces that aren't necessarily on the board, you know, the score charts right now that are going to continue to develop. But what can you say so far this season about uh, what you have seen from the the Blazers basketball team? You know, I think, you know, having to take a COVID layoff was not really the thing that the Blazers needed at the moment that it came because I really thought that Lewis and Clark was really, you know, starting to find themselves on the court and starting to kind of, you know, develop their game there, figuring out how they could win a basketball game. And then you take, you have to take a week break for COVID and then you get back and you lose a couple games pretty, you know, you lose a game by a bad score here this week against Kankakee and you know you kind of just set your progression back you know before where you were before the layoff and it's been a tough season I think you mentioned you mentioned the point of you know having four players scoring over 10 points a game this is a team that understands that they kind of have to you know share the responsibility share the load they have to you know they produce all over the court and I think they're at their best when they can kind of distribute the basketball all around and get that equal production from all over the court. We've seen at times, you know, I think Zidane Moore has kind of taken over games a lot for Lewis and Clark, or at least attempted to take over games because Lewis and Clark has needed those scores. They've obviously needed points a lot of times. They're out, they're, they play from behind a lot this season. So Zidane Moore has kind of been able to try to you know, or he's, he's at least attempted to try to take you know control and try to dictate that offensive tempo, that offensive flow a bit. You know, I think for Lewis and Clark, if you you know you're trying to build for this first win, you're trying to you know obviously atten- actually win a game, your first win of this season. You, know, you just have to kind of keep to what you know you can succeed at. It's all about tempo for your guys. It's a smaller group. You know, you have to stay moving. You have to stay agile. You have to get you know fast break buckets where there's not as many big guys clogging the lane. Yeah, and I I completely agree. And you talked a little bit about Zidane Moore, and I mean, what a what a guy that can just step up, take over a game for you if you are the Blazers. Something that has helped them at times. And I think one thing that as his game develops, we've seen him at times try to take over games, and it doesn't necessarily go very well for the Blazers, where you know maybe the shots aren't falling. He is a guy that is very effective on driving to the basket. Um, that I mean, that is by far his biggest strength. Sometimes. Shots just aren't falling when he is driving. Sometimes they're unnecessary shots. Um, But I think that as he continues to grow, I mean, seeing that leadership from a freshman at this point, I mean, I love seeing that out of a guy. And I'm sure Coach Doug Stotler does too because you're thinking, wow, 
Now I'm going to have some of these. All these guys are going to be sophomores next year, and Zidane Moore leading that group. I mean, it's going to be um, next year. There's a lot of potential for that team with a little bit more development, with a little bit more maturity, uh, to be a solid team in Region 24. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to have Blues Hockey Talk for you. Four in a row. Where did that come from? Well, we're going to talk about it in just a minute. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Welcome back to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. It's time for some Blues Talk. I'm excited. A lot more excited this week for Blues Talk (laughs) than I was last week. Do you agree, Nathan? Yeah, it feels pretty good, especially, you know, last night. Big win, a big late win, overtime win. Big win, big time win. Uh, 4-0 this week. Man, that feels really good to say. Bill Husso, 2-0 this week. Yeah, a much-needed. Big-time confidence booster for him. Much-needed. I think he has decision in his last four appearances, he has four wins also. Yeah, four straight is, wins for Husso. Which yeah. is really uh, big time. And I think it's, it's really cool to see how it all started because I, I was, you know, jokingly saying it obviously earlier talking about the – where the success came from and how it all changed, but it really did line up with what we were talking about last week, which was this team, the leadership on this team just has to rally the troops and say, let's go, next man up, and that's exactly what happened. The the veterans stepped up, Um, but you know, you look at these games, I mean, the first game against San Jose, well, they won that one 7-6, to six, and, it, I mean, they didn't play well, but they were able to scrounge that, that a win. That was a crazy game. I don't know if you got to watch it or not, but that was just, yeah, I was on the edge Marco of my seat. Marco Scandella. <laughs> yeah, say the Marco Scandella show, final, you know, it's finally here. He's, you know, right on the score sheet for the Blues, finally. Yeah, and then the next game, he loses his two front teeth, so that's also, <laughs> that was also. That, that, that's a classic week in the NHL. Yeah, right, and, but also, uh, the I mean, let's see, they then won two games against Anaheim. Um, let's see, I'm trying to remember, I think. Five to four and three to two, and then last night getting that huge win against the Kings. And the Kings are not a bad team; they're really not. They're playing better than a lot of people expected them to this season. So, able being able to Dustin Brown and Anze Kopitar, man, they're having great seasons. Up, yeah. Um, so, being able to get that win was big time for them. So, uh, I mean, hey, four wins this week—that just makes me smile um, as a Blues fan. But. I, I talked about it a little bit as far as, you know, what was that change? I think the veteran leadership. What do you think on that, Nathan? I mean, we have power play success for the first time. And, hey, I mean, it's maybe, nice. It, I mean, we had good power play last season, but at least for this season, I think the power play has been largely absent. And then I think there was a stretch this week where they went on four or five straight power plays. That, four straight. Yeah, four straight power plays that they scored. And that alone just rocketed their power play percentage from the basement of the NHL to uh, a more... Uh, the mid-20s, me- right? Yeah, a more, a more mediocre level. Not necessarily the absolute basement, but a more like average to bad level of the power play. Which, I mean, that's a drastic improvement from where we were a week ago. So I'll take that and... I mean, I think the play that you're getting on the power play, unfortunately, I, I hate to bring this up every time we talk about the Blues on the show, but unfortunately, last night we lost Oscar Sundquist, who has been a part of the power play unit for the Blues. Pain. Yeah. Uh, uh, Greg Ruby did say that there's a chance he's going to play tonight still. So I think that, you know, Sunquist, you know, you don't have to fear too much that Sunquist might be out of the lineup, or at least he won't be out of the lineup for too long a period of time. Hey, apparently, um, Vladimir Tarasenko potentially returning tonight as well so so, you know those 
I think that's been the, the I mean you mentioned next man up when we started this blues talk here and that's been really the case you know you bring up Dakota Joshua you know your AHL your taxi squad player and he's kind of fit in pretty well in the games that he's got to play so far I mean he's he, you're not going to be wowed or really amazed by what Dakota Joshua can do but you're I, I would say I'm you know quietly impressed with what he could do I wasn't really expecting too much out of he's thing. he's performing he's not yeah. he's you need not a, doing you need any, a fourth guy to win face off he's not doing anything that is going to hurt your team he is there and he is being able to be and productive perfect. enough to where he's not hurting your team and that's exactly what you need from a guy that's just coming up and playing on the fourth line for you not only that but also Nathan Walker has performed uh, really well um Austin uh but Pugnansky. Pugnansky. Uh, thank you for my lack of pronunciation. Has also uh, looked really solid. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm liking what I'm seeing from those guys that have been able to step up. And I mean, it lines up perfectly with what Craig Berube has been saying. Another piece that I think has I have really been impressed with, I think more so than anyone this week, was Zach Sanford. I mean, Zach Sanford stepped up. And we kind of reamed him a little bit week. on the last show. Deservingly. He had, he had been really struggling. And I think that all of I think he was I mean he was the reason that they lost, you know, one or two games last week. You look at what he was able to do in his last uh, now this isn't including last night cuz I'm not sure if he had any points last night. I'm assuming going to guess no because I can't think of any off the top of my goals. head. I don't, I don't think he did. But in those first 3 games of this 4 game stint that the Blues have had, 6 points in there, 4 goals. I mean, that's a guy almost that we said last year was I mean, that was just lighting up. When he had that point streak going, I mean, we were just like, holy cow, this dude is lighting it up. And that's almost what he has been the last, what, week? So, I mean... I say, there's a reason that Craig Ruby feels comfortable putting him on this first line. I don't think you really expected... I mean, I never... I I personally did not expect Zach Sanford to be a first-line level player. And, you know, Craig Ruby obviously feels comfortable. I mean... Granted, the the Blues are in a position. Probably knows right, them a little bit more than us. <laughs> yeah, the Blues are in a position right now, obviously, with the injuries, where you probably, you know, you're kind of in a position where who else is going to play on that line? So you kind of have to put Zach Sanford on the first line at the moment. But at the same time, I mean, he's giving you first line level production. He's giving you, you know, top six NHL forward production, and I think that's probably, you know, sh- overshooting what you really expected to get out of Zach Sanford at this at this time of his career. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's really, I really enjoy seeing him have some success, and I almost wonder because we talked last week, need to probably give him a healthy scratch, but you don't, you aren't able to because you're so banged up right now. I wonder if him and Craig Bruby had a little chat or something, kind of got his mindset a little bit um, better for him and better for the team because uh, I mean the play matches. I mean it's been really phenomenal this week, and hope that it continues. You know, talking about the. The team as a whole also, I mean, Braden Shen has stepped up, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, uh, those three veterans that you really needed to pick it up. I mean, David Perron had two goals last night. Mike, Mike Hoffman, I think, Mike also. Hoffman. I think last night, I mean, the game-winning goal. Maybe his best game, game he's t- had. Was it the game tie? It was the game, the game tying No, goal. it was the game winner because Perron had the game tire. No, I'm saying uh, yeah, Mike Hoffman oh, had the game-winning the goal. Yeah, on but the, yeah, the yeah, play yeah. that he made on that game-tying yeah. goal, he got back, beat, uh, I believe it was Anze Kopitar, to a loose puck. Kopitar would have had an empty net goal chance. You know, He would have had an empty net chance right there for, for L.A. to put the game away. Hoffman gets back on defense. He wins that puck. He feeds it to O'Reilly. O'Reilly feeds it to Perron. Gets that shot on goal, and without Hoffman's hustle on that play, and I've been games over. Yeah, say, and I've done. You know, I've been kind of critical of Hoffman's 
defensive play. I think Kaufman at times he kind of sleeps defensively. He's obviously a sniper. He's offense first, and that's kind of why you brought him in. But that play he made on defense and that hustle play, that that saves you that game, and that really wins you that game. And I don't think that's something that you would have seen out of Mike Hoffman earlier on in the season. I think it was probably the most complete game we've seen from Hoffman this season. Without a doubt. Yeah, and I'm looking forward also. You know, you talked a little bit about it, but Vladimir Tarasenko, there's rumors he could be back on the ice as soon as tonight for the Blues. Can't wait to see him back back wearing the blue. I'm just glad more guys are healthy at this point. Like, it could be anyone. We need more healthy hockey players on this team because we are just run. You know, it's great that you could call up a guy. You call up a guy like Dakota Joshua, and you can get you know production out of you know Nathan Walker as well. But you'd rather have your health, your guys that you expected to be there, just being healthy and actually playing the minutes. Because this is a team that you know this is a team that's full of Stanley Cup winners, and you'd prefer if those Stanley Cup winners were healthy and on the ice for you. I will say though, it will be interesting because bringing up Tarasenko does leave a couple of question marks. You know, Tarasenko being on the long-term IR, they set up this roster. Cap wise, based on Tarasenko being on the IR, Tarasenko's on the long term IR, so it leaves a question: If you're left with about four and a half million dollars over the cap, which is what is the cap like ninety? It's ninety something, like maybe ninety one million or yeah, ninety one million one hundred twenty one thousand seven hundred twenty seven dollars. So that is the wow, that is a very specific number. So that is thank the, you to our fo- friends at Daily Faceoff for that. There it is. Shout out Daily Faceoff for that. Um, but. It'll be very interesting to see what they do to get back under that cap. And I'm there's a couple of answers that I initially have off the top of my head is, you know, people are like are kind of wondering, are they going to try to get out of that long term IR or are they going to try to stay in it? I think that at this point, with the team that you have set up with so many young guys making, you know, seven hundred thousand dollars, eight hundred thousand dollars, you're you have to go you have to stay in long-term IR, in my opinion. You have I'm here's the I guess this is the only area where it's like okay, kind of works out that there's a couple guys that are injured. You could put Carl Gunnarsson on back on the long-term IR. He's done, he's probably already on it, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, he is currently just on the regular IR. He's not on long-term quite yet. Okay, but I don't. I guess I'm not sure if there's a, if like they would if we would find that out or not. I guess with Tarasenko, I believe Carl Gunnarsson is already expected not to play for this season. So, which is why I put him on long-term IR on on the in-season long-term IR. They have to at this point. That would be, I think, I think he's at one point seven five million is what his AAV yeah, is. Yeah, nearly two. Yeah. So that get rids of a little bit. They'll probably have to. They'll they'll send down one of those taxi squad guys um, for in the place of Tarasenko, whether it's Pugnansky. Or Walker, one of those guys will probably go down. I would say probably Pugnansky. I would agree. Then you have this area of what about a, a million and a half, two million dollars, where you're like, uh, what do we do with this? Like I said, it's a good thing that there are several players that are. Well, it's not a good thing, but it kind of works out that there's still several players injured for the Blues. I don't know what you think about this, but I think that it's likely that either Colton Pareko or Jaden Schwartz go on long-term IR at this point. And in order to qualify for long-term IR, it's missed 10 games and 24 in a 24-day period. I what do you think about that? Do you think either of them could go on long-term IR? I don't know what else you do at this point. Say so I would probably lean against Pareko because it seems like Pareko's injury isn't as 
uh, long term. Of but it, a, it sounds like it might require a lot of rest is my thing. And it's the same thing with Schwartz. So I'm not really sure on either of them. We haven't really been given a timetable for either yeah, of them. Yeah, looking here at you know on Daily Faceoff, it still says that both of them are just listed as plainly out. They're not on an injured reserve of any type at the moment, but you know they're both plainly out. Uh, you know, if I had to choose, I think you probably lean Schwartz just because, you know, defensively you would appreciate Colton Pareko coming back if at all possible because Colton yeah. Pareko is just such a you know valuable piece of this defense, and your offense has proven that you can kind of piece together you know offensive lines, and obviously you have Vladimir Tarasenko coming back, which is already a help, and you don't need as much necessarily offensive help from those lines. So if I had to choose out of those two, I would probably pick, put Jaden Schwartz on long-term IR. It'll definitely be interesting to see how they do it, but either way, Vladdy is coming back, and that puts a smile on my face. What puts an even bigger smile on my face is Vladdy's coming back in the midst of a four-game win streak. So we'll yeah. be, it'll be interesting to see how they do tonight. Back at it against the Kings. I want to say 8 o'clock again. I think so, um, yeah. I think that Bennington should be in net with Huso being in net last night. So yeah, it should be better start expect tonight. That. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. MLB talk. The Brewers got a little bit better this week. We'll see. Someone in the National League Central doing something. It's interesting. Will it be enough, though, to compete with the Cardinals? You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Welcome back to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Time for some baseball talk. The MLB spring training starting. It's a uh, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's a good feeling having it all back. I love to spend an afternoon at home, you know, just kind of relaxing, watching like a random because the Cardinals haven't really been on TV, but just like a random MLB Network spring training game. It's just nice background noise. I wish that the local media or like the local. TV showings would do more in-ear stuff with players like mic'd up stuff. Because I tell you what, ESPN, the only time that I will watch ESPN spring training games is if there's a guy mic'd up. It is, I love it. It's just so fun to listen to. And they're like, they're more hanging out. It's more relaxed during spring training. It's more of like, you're really getting like the player's personality because they're not as wound up as they are during, you know, a more serious game. So it's it's nice. It's a more... I'd say it's a more kind of interactive version of watching a baseball game. I mean, yesterday, Whit Merrifield, or maybe it was two days ago, Whit Merrifield, no, it was yesterday, was on, was mic'd up against the Dodgers in the first inning, and he hit ropes a double against Clayton Kershaw. Like, while he's on, he's like, so, they're like, what's going through your mind there? And it's just it's just really fun. I, I, I do enjoy that a lot. And say, not necessarily the mic'd up thing, but with the stadiums being empty, obviously, during COVID, I mean, I would prefer fans being at games, but you get to hear the what, what players are saying on the field and kind of what they're you know kind of chatting with each other. It's kind of been an interesting you know an interesting window into the you know the world on the field that we don't necessarily usually get to hear, especially on TV broadcast or if you're you know sitting up in the 400 level at the stadium. One thing that is interesting though about the MLB and uh, uh, that happened this week, the Brewers got better uh, and. I, I commend the Brewers for this because the Brewers are not accepting, you know, mediocrity. You know, they're giving everything like they, the rest of the division. They're giving everything. Yes, us. yeah, they're giving everything they got to say that we want to go out here and we want to try to win this thing. Signed Jackie Bradley Jr. to a two-year, twenty-four million dollar deal this week. 
I think this surprised a lot of people, but honestly, I think that it's a pretty good signing. You've already built in a in this idea that you are going to, you know, try to save runs defensively to the max, right? And I think that this is a, a solid signing. Do you agree, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree because I think, you know, especially with the news kind of coming out, Lorenzo Cain is apparently hurt and he's going to be kind of rehabbing a lot through spring training and they're kind of curious as to a timetable for Lorenzo Cain. What do you have up on that? Do you have uh, anything up on that? He has a, what uh, they say, quote, uh, the tweet says, quote, a very minor quad injury, but the Brewers are trying to be very careful and ramping him up. So I don't I think he'll be a part of spring tra- or of opening day. I think he'll be on the opening day starting like roster. But I think it'll be something that the Brewers are kind of keeping an eye on cuz apparently it's been a I mean he showed up dealing with this quad injury or he's been dealing with the quad injury for a little while now. So it's been kind of a nagging it's apparently uh, according to Brewers beat writers it's been kind of a nagging thing for Lorenzo Kane. So I mean, I don't think that they made this move because of that, but I think it just kind of works out for the Brewers that their other star center fielder in Lorenzo Cain is going to be missing a little bit of time this spring as he kind of rehabs. Well, it'll be interesting also to see if he how much time he does miss, right? If he yeah, is, I, I, this I is predict that he won't miss regular season time. Yeah, if it, so, I'm I'm curious if if it comes opening day, if he is in the lineup, and it's interesting also, which I was kind of surprised by this, but when this deal initially happened, the Brewers said Lo, Lorenzo Kane is still going to be our center fielder, which kind of surprises me because he's a, he's a very good outfielder. But Jackie Bradley Jr. is one of the best outfielders in baseball. Yeah, and, and he's proven that over the past so many seasons with he, Boston. He has so. I'm kind of surprised that Jackie Bradley isn't manning center. Maybe this is a reason to put Bradley in center. Center has to cover a lot more area, or I guess a lot more outfield than right field would have to. So maybe this is an excuse to put Lorenzo Kane in right field and Bradley in center um, because of that, maybe that little lingering quad injury. Say, hey, I mean, you, you mentioned having to move around more. I mean, if some guy potentially is dealing with that quad injury and it might you know, limit his speed running or, you know, maybe his jump or, you know, limit his ability to, you know, cut down his range in the outfield. So I think it might be a good move, you know, laterally if it be, if this is a nagging problem and say it's something that, you know, Lorenzo Cain kind of has to deal with throughout the season, like we've seen so many times before with baseball players where they have kind of just a nagging injury that's never really incredibly serious or debilitating, but just something kind of slows them down a bit. If you like, Say you remember Marcelo Zuna having a bad shoulder for the Cardinals a couple years ago where he was still able to play, you know, mostly consistent baseball, but he obviously was playing kind of, you know, 85% of his normal skill with that kind of lingering injury. It'll just be interesting to see how this plays out in spring, how the Brewers kind of handle it. I tell you what, though, adding... Having an offseason where you add JBJ and Colton Wong has to be labeled as a a big-time success for the Brewers, but... I tell you what, I mean, you look at, I mean, they just added two Gold Glove Award winners. That's big time for the Brewers, and it'll be interesting to see how you, I'm curious to see how you think they will line up in the NL Central now, because I thought before they were probably the second best team in the National League Central, probably. Now I'm saying that I think that they are cemented in as that second best team in the National League Central. I still think that the Cardinals adding Nolan Arenado, you we have seen the pitching depth in spring training, most of it being good so far, but I mean we're a week in, so there's nothing to be concerned about the bad stuff yet. Um 
But I still think that the Cardinals are the best team in the National League Central. Maybe I'm biased. Um, you are wearing the hoodie right now. I am wearing, yeah, I am wearing the hoodie. Um, <laughs> and if it wasn't for Pakoda, I think that everyone in the country just about would say the Cardinals are the best team in the National League Central. They've brainwashed people with I, that. I do think that the Brewers are probably now the second best team in the NL Central. Do you agree? I mean, I think that they're going to be... They're going to be the second-best team, no question. I think they're going to be kind of nipping at the heels of the Cardinals all season now. I think this is going to be, you know, that top of the NL Central just became a lot more fascinating because of the Brewers making this move. And, you know, you have you know, a loaded outfield with, with in that Milwaukee. I think people forget Christian Yelich plays for the Milwaukee Brewers, and, you know, he had a bad season last year. People but, forget that his 2020 was rough, but he was an MVP in, what, 18 or 19? Yeah, 19. So. Yeah, uh, it's not you know, the last regular season of baseball we actually could play. He was one of the best players, if not the one of like the I mean, best. He player was in the not National the League. only player that struggled immensely last yeah, year. Exact, so exactly. You take kind you of take it with a a grain kind of, of salt. Yeah, a grain yeah. of salt. Kind of brush it off your shoulder, honestly. If you're so you got a Bruce fan, you have to imagine that Christian Yelich kind of returns to the Christian Yelich we've seen before. And I think you know you add that return that ad, that return power that added power to that Brewers lineup. You add a Jackie Bradley Jr. You know Colton Wong, obviously not necessarily the offensive weapon, more as a defensive weapon, I mean, but has potential to be that offensive yeah, weapon. Yeah, we've and seen we've, him put up numbers where he can be a leadoff hitter in his career. Now he's also a guy that in 2020 struggled, but I think will I think he'll be better in 2021 than we saw last year in that COVID season. And he fits better in that lineup, I would say. I think yeah. he can kind of slot into a different spot in that lineup. Maybe I would say I don't know if he's going to be a leadoff guy. I don't think he'll be a leadoff guy in that lineup. I think he'll be. I'm not know. sure. I'm not sure how that lineup really looks as far as who will be leading. But, there, off. but, there, but there's a lot. I wouldn't be surprised though to see him get some opportunity, some reps at at the top of the lineup, especially here in spring training. I think definitely you'll see the burgers kind of shake around those those rosters, those lineup sheets, and. You know, kind of figure it out. But yeah, I think that the Brewers are definitely the second best team in this division and are going to be, you know, fighting the Cardinals tooth and nail to try to get that top spot. So on Wednesday, Evan Drellich from The Athletic came out with an article saying that the expanded postseason and the universal DH are both, in quotations, dead issues in 2021. I'm, I'm really surprised uh, to hear this and, and now kind of moving on now, but... This one really threw me off because they seem like both the the DH and the extended postseason at this point. I don't know about you, but I mean they were last minute last year. I expected us to have both of them this season. And say we had Bob Nightingale on here saying about as much last week, just saying that you would expect them to be kind of announced, you know, before the season or kind of you know last minute before the season. So what are your thoughts on this as a whole, Nathan? Because for me. Putting my personal like biases aside, what I want for the game, I think that both of those things that we saw last year, when you look at baseball from a financial standpoint and where it's kind of struggled and financially because of COVID and everything, you know, the attraction is starting to fall off a little bit. I thought both of these things brought excitement to the game last year and brought attention to the game where it normally wouldn't have attention. I think that baseball is hurting themselves a little bit by not having these two things in there this year. Do you agree? I think... Well, I, I kind of think that you know it's gonna it's weird that they're not in there this year because I do think that whenever you know the CBA does actually get agreed upon, they'll be in there, right? Yeah, they'll For just be in there. Twenty twenty two and beyond. Yeah, so like we're just kind of going, we're taking a step backwards for this one season, and I, 
I mean, I think it's you know it's hard to look at that CBA and those negotiations and thinking that an expanded playoff field and the universal DH aren't going to be a part of that CBA because, as you mentioned, having those playoff teams. I'm personally not a fan of it. But I think having those playoff teams does bring in the added fan bases. The more you know, you're having more eyes watching the playoffs than before, just simply because of a matter of you have more teams in the playoffs. Just you're ha- you're bringing in more fan bases. You're bringing in different groups. You're di- bringing in you know some teams that probably haven't been in the playoffs or a team that was unlikely to be in the playoffs, like the Marlins, for example. You bring in, I mean, obviously the Marlins. We've joked before about the Marlins fan base on this show. Uh, not not necessarily going to drive the numbers up that well with them being in the playoffs but you know those stories those teams those cinderella type you know a team that no one expected to be there be makes it and that becomes a more captivating story on a grander national scale but you know i personally not a fan of it but i do think it's 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 a curious decision by the league to you know decide to for this season specifically not to do it when you're probably going to be in you're doing those things next season i think that if this shows anything it shows how separated both sides are the ownership and the players union. no doubt and that's just I like mean, it continued it is a it's a serious problem for that was Major like League half baseball. of our show last summer whenever we were doing these shows during covid and, and there I think wasn't sports happening i think it's even worse now because you look at these teams and both of these things you have to be able to come together and say and I, I hear Dan McLaughlin say it all the time. You have to have someone looking out for the betterment of the game. And no one on either side seems to be doing that right now. And that is a big problem because the MLB, and I think that this isn't as much of a talk as it was during COVID, but there's problems that are not being talked about. And these, I think, were solutions to not like, oh, problems fixed like that, you know, with the snap of fingers. And, and, and but these that's things, without even talking these, about like minor league baseball or the structures yeah, of baseball or but, the, the other problems that is starting to you know arise because of COVID or money these, problems. These things, I think, help that a little bit. They bring attention and to see that they're not even willing to come together and say, yeah, let's go ahead and let's make this happen this year. That's a problem. And I think that I hate to say it, but I think that we are in for a long 2022 offseason Um like mentally and also uh, physically, because I think that looking at how things have gone, I'd be shocked at this point if we don't have a lockout and a delay to the start of the 2022 season. Say, so, yeah, I think that I think you're just about on with that. I think you know, obviously, baseball's <laughs> ownership and MLBPA are just you know increasingly at odds with each other. And you know, I think yeah, those the negotiations this off season are going to get ugly. They're going to be you know kind of a scrap of a fight. And yeah, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if next season does get delayed a little bit we have to continue we could probably we, we could, could pro- probably talk about this for a while for, we could probably talk about this for our entire two-hour show but we're going to continue on because march madness is getting closer and closer conference tournaments this week we're gonna be talking about illinois big matchup today and their big week that they had last week you're listening to the wlca sports show on 89.9 Welcome back to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9 College Radio's Best. College Radio's Best. Best. Sports Show. Easy for you to say. Yeah, as everything is, right? <laughs> that hasn't proven to be a problem over the past however long. That's what I'm... That's hey, part, that's part I can of, say that I that is one thing that I am better than Tanner at, all we're, right? We're learning. <laughs> 
If Tanner, if Tanner, if you're listening, love you, buddy. But a uh, little bit of a little bit of a dig there. Little. <laughs> Gay bit, gay bit of a dude. Let's go ahead and let's get into some college basketball talk. Wouldn't it be cool if we had like the bed for college basketball that we could play under this, like the the CBS, like the March Madness, like yeah. I was actually playing a March Madness hoops 2K8 on PS2 last night. Sorry, I I I turned. I just realized that I turned down Holiday by Green Day to to hum. And I, I feel ashamed, so we'll put it back up for a minute. But um, <laughs> I know it's your favorite bit. March, March Madness. I was playing NCAA. What was it called? March Madness to 2010. The one with it was like the last one with Blake Griffin on the cover. I was yes, playing that yeah, the yeah. other day. Um, but yeah, brought back some nostalgia. I'm like, I hope that they're they, they bring. They don't that, make games like that anymore. They don't. They really don't. <laughs> I hope that they bring it back eventually, though. Now with yeah. the talks of yeah, if they're thinking about bringing back NCAA football, maybe the next gen consoles get a NCAA basketball game. I think. Did you see that Notre Dame opted out of that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, that's especially for football. Shame on one you, big, Notre Dame. That's one of the biggest teams in all of football. Just you know, not going to be in the football game. I now I wonder. Hopefully that changes by the time that it starts. Maybe they get their own football game. Like yeah. a, like, how Notre so- Dame football. like how soccer is split up, and some of the soccer teams are in like leagues, yeah. PES or Pro Evolution Soccer, and the other games are in FIFA. Or, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Let's go ahead and let's. All right, now I am gonna turn down our Green Day, but let's go ahead and let's get into we're getting, some. We're getting on a little long with the Green Day, but let's get into some college basketball talk. Illinois had a really solid week this past week. They beat. They started off the week knocking off number two. They didn't knock. Knock off is almost being disrespectful to Illinois. They beat the living crap out of Michigan. They We're up dominated. by almost 30th from the majority of the second half. Ended up winning, I think, by... I think it was 23. At the, so the final score was 76-53, to 53, I believe. And, yeah. yeah, something, yeah. And then they also beat Wisconsin this week, another ranked team, but holy moly. I mean, talk about starting off your week. That's all with a big win. That was only Michigan's second loss this season. So I I wouldn't be surprised now, and we'll talk about this in a little while, if Illinois moves into potentially uh, the number two spot in the land for in the AP polls. I think that this almost guarantees them a one seed in, unless they get absolutely destroyed today in their last regular season game against Ohio State. But, I mean, what? Here, what impresses me the most about this win is doing it without your star, without Iota Sunmu. I mean absolutely dominated without one of the best players in the country who has been the the cornerstone for your team all a Nace, season. A Naismith semifinalist as well. A cornerstone for your team. And being able to do that without him, I think is amazing. You're the you're the Illinois guy over here. Uh, you you know, you are closer to it than I am. What did you think of this win? You know, I thought I mean, I was watching this game kind of from the tip. I thought, you know, Michigan was never even really in that game. I thought that was so surprising. I mean Illinois at times, especially earlier on in this season, they really struggled. So when if Io wasn't cooking, if Io wasn't being Io, Illinois was struggling. And you saw so many of those games earlier on in the season where they struggled against you know weaker opposition. Earlier on against like an Ohio or a team, you know, a lot of those big Big Ten teams where they were fighting and you know scraping by Nebraska and stuff like that. Those those games were you know evidence that Illinois kind of had to work on some of their you know their offensive production they had to work on the way they kind of moved the ball around and now this is a team that has obviously learned how to produce without Io to some new like 
you obviously would like Io, one of the best players in college basketball, and one of the you know probably the best. I would, for my money, the best player in college basketball, the best player on the Illinois team, and probably one of the best players in Illinois, if not the best player in Illinois basketball history. You'd like him to be on the team, but the fact that you could just be a number two team in the country so easily without. Like I said, probably the best player in Illinois basketball history is a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment for you know Brad Under Brad Underwood and this Illinois team. I said Illinois. I said I put the S on the end there. Nice. I got too caught up with myself in my little Illinois Sound rant like here. Me. Yeah, it it happens. Um, but yeah, it's like you know Brad Underwood and this Illini team. They're you know they're showing that they have just matured so much throughout the season. They've really kind of developed them into themselves and. You know, it's been such an it's been such an exciting run this past week. I don't necessarily think it stops. You know, I think they you know Io is still questionable for today's game against Ohio State. I think that I would assume that he does not play just because they've already proved that they don't need him. They to don't win. need him to necessarily play today. Give him a little bit of time. Yeah, you know, yeah, if you want him let, back let him for game, the tournament, if maybe. you want him back for game one of the Big Ten tournament, you probably could do that considering. They're the two seats, so I believe they should have a bye. Or you play him today if he's okay to go, and then maybe you try see if you could rest him a little bit maybe in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. I wonder, does do you know if today has any implications on seeding? If Illinois wins to, or loses today, do, they drop, do they drop in seeding for, yes, the Big Ten tournament, or are they still the two seed? I think they would drop to three, I think. I'm assuming Ohio... Either Ohio State or Iowa would be the next seed. I'm yeah. not. I'm not exactly sure what it is, and I'm sure um, you're gonna check on that in a second. But um, I know that if they do win today and Michigan loses tomorrow against my Spartans of Michigan State, then Illinois would get a share of the Big Ten title. Which that I mean, when was the last time that they did that? I mean, what? Oh five, probably. Yeah, say oh four or five, probably. You know, we go back. We've had all those trivia questions about that. I mean, that's that's your answer, right? It's probably oh five. I feel like all those answers go back to that, go back to those teams right there. Um, you, you didn't. You talked about the strengths, obviously. Um, what they did so well. Okay, uh, just to check up on those Big Ten standings. Uh, Illinois would not fall. So they're locked in at a two seed. Yeah. Okay. I so. I guess now you're really just fighting for a one seed, honestly, with this game today potentially. Yeah, say I think yeah, this is today is more about the selection committee for the NCAA more than Big Ten. So how about this? Um, we talked about strengths, um, what they've done so well. Is there any areas that they can improve right now, or is there any weaknesses that you're seeing? I think you know it's hard, especially you know after watching that game against Michigan. You look at you know just controlling a game against a number two team in the country like that. I think. They could still work. You know, this is a team that's got so much better at shooting. I think that, you know, they could probably sure that up just a little bit more. It's really hard to pick a weakness from a team that's, you know, probably the best Illinois team I've had the chance to see at least in over a decade or so. And it's really hard to nit- sit there and nitpick and say, oh, this guy's not doing this. This guy's not doing that. I think, you know, defensively, I would kind of like them to be a little more active. I think. You know, you could score and you can, you know, outscore these teams. And Illinois has done a great job of proving that they can outscore teams. But I think they've, at times when the games got, you know, become more, you know, this is Big Ten basketball we're talking about here. The game becomes a grit and grind game at times, especially against those teams that, you know, don't have the skill. And I, I mentioned Illinois, you know, scraping by Nebraska just a week or, or a couple weeks ago. And they, they you know, 
have trouble in those grit and grind games and that's the ncaa tournament is full of that the ncaa tournament is full of you know teams that are trying to dictate tempo trying to slow down the game or trying to you know alter the pace of another team and i think you know that'll be the big key for illinois going down the stretch especially in the ncaa attorney is fighting against that kind of that grit and grind style and trying to you know stick stick to their game and play their game and, uh, and hopefully having a fully healthy io to some new is a big part of that Hopefully, um, and I, I thought I think you kind of nailed it on the head there. You know, and it's not that this is a problem for the Illini. This is just something you can always find areas. Nick, 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 you can always here. find areas to improve, and I think that's that, what good coaches do. Absolutely, and that's how I think that that's maybe where we see this Illinois team go from good to great. And, and I, I think, think the coaching is a big part of it as well because I don't think Illinois has really ever had, or at least hasn't in a very long time. They haven't had a coach to the level of Brad Underwood, a guy who's, you know, real he's a great game manager. He's a man manager as well because he can really kind of uplift and he knows how to, you know, motivate this Illinois team. And you look at the coaches that Illinois had in the past, even the successful Illinois teams, you know, you talk about the 0405 team at Bruce Weber, you know, at times, there was always questions about his man management and his motivational tactics with the team. And I think Brad Underwood kind of really squares that circle, and he's a really perfect fit for this Illini program. We have a couple of big-time Big Ten matchups this week. Uh, first one being Illinois-Ohio State. What are your keys to the game for that matchup for Illinois to come out with a win in that game? I mean, I think it's more of the same. I mean, you really don't have to change the the game plan or the blueprint from what you did. You just ran you just ran over the number two team in the country and you know it's it's rare air to get to talk about a team in this position to where you know you look so good against the top you know the absolute top talent in all of college basketball and Illinois looks so good right now I think they just have to kind of stick to their game they've really managed to flow they can kind of you know mix together their blend uh, you know the offense that's productive all over the court especially you know if Io isn't playing today, that's still kind of up in the air. They haven't said one way or the other if Io is available for today's game or not. So, you know, getting that production from all over the floor, getting that production from, you know, you've had freshmen step up. I mean, I really like Andre Curbelo this season. I think Curbelo has been one of the, you know, bright spots for Illinois and a team that's been full of bright spots lately. So, you know, I don't necessarily think you're changing anything specifically. I mean, Ohio State, obviously a very good basketball team. But I think, you know, if you're Illinois, you just stick to your game. You just stick to the game plan you had against, you know, a number two Michigan team. And you just hope that you can still find that game and everything comes to you against this Ohio State team. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I'm really excited to watch this matchup. Before we go, I know you wanted or you told me in the break you wanted to hear a Michigan State update, real quick, because you know we gotta gotta rep the Spartans. And, you, and you're, you're fi- and the Spartans are fighting to get into the pl- the, the tournament. They're yeah. fighting for that spot. So, so let's see how they're doing. So this week, uh, lost or last week, last Saturday, bad against Maryland, bad loss, um, hurt them a little bit. You know, you get two big wins, and then it's almost that are they for real? And then they get killed, and it's, it's a bad loss. They beat Indiana early this week, and then they got they lost bad again against Michigan. It was a good Michigan. game against Indiana. It was, and then they lost bad against Michigan, number two Michigan last. Uh, I want to say last Thursday was not a pretty game. They got Michigan again tomorrow at home. A win and they're locked in. A loss and it's about fifty fifty. I think it sounds like Joe Lenardi with Bracketology for ESPN is leaning towards they're going to be in either way. I'm a little bit more hesitant because. 
I don't know. It almost seems like you've got to it, see them more. <laughs> it almost seems like a spurt if if they don't get a win. And I think there's still a lot of potential in this team, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how it works out. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna have take it or leave it. It's Nathan Tucker, Ethan Hannaford. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show. Take it, leave it, leave it, take it, leave it, take it. It's take it or leave it on the WLCA Sports Show. All right, let's go ahead and let's get into some take it or leave it. First one, Nathan, take it or leave it. The Cardinals have at least four players hit 20 home runs or more this season. What are you thinking? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think that'd be right on. I feel like they'd be right on the border there. It's a good. It's like the. It is like the perfect over under. Yeah, that is, yeah. Say that. And that is. I guess a, three and a half would more so be yeah, the perfect over under. The, the gambling. Four guys. The four gambling guys. number. We'll there. stick with four guys. Uh, yeah. I'm going to leave it, and I'm going to say it comes just about a hair short. Like you're going to have guys that are hitting, you know, maybe 15 to 20 home runs, and maybe a couple guys hit 15 to 20 home runs. But I don't necessarily think we're going to have four guys over 20. Let's go through it real quick. So we got Nolan Arenado. Unless there's a major injury, God forbid, I think that we're so Arenado and Goldschmidt. I could say we could guarantee your 20, and then everyone else. I think we could probably guarantee that. DeYoung. Paul DeYoung is yeah. also a 20 home run hitter this season. See, the, then everyone, after that, it kind of becomes a question mark. Yeah, I think everyone else you're putting in that you know 10 you know 10 to 20 home run category, 15 to 20 home run category, and you know, I think we've talked about Tyler O'Neill. Maybe Tyler O'Neill runs into 20 or 25 home runs this season, but yeah, I tend it's going to be John Nagowski because the Nog father he's going to hit 20 clearly. <laughs> Let's yeah. let's take a look real quick. Coming at off lineup. the bench behind Paul Goldschmidt. Yes. <laughs> so Edmund, probably not. Uh, let's see. Bader, probably not. Molina, I'd be very surprised. Molina could probably hit like 10 or 15. I expect more 15 from him. I think that Tyler O'Neill is probably the Your best bet. I would have to say so. I am looking through this. And not to, not to be a negative Cardinals fan here, as I, I so mean, three, often I am. Mean, I don't think that is being negative. I... I will out of That's more I guess realistic. Optimistically, I will take it. Because I want to see Tyler O'Neill succeed. I want to see yeah, th- him. this is the Tyler O'Neill question is basically what you're saying. If he's going to play if he's going to play 140 30, games, 140 yeah. games, he will hit 20 home runs. He at least that's should. the only way that he will play. <laughs> unless is unless he gets on base more. Another gold glove season maybe. Yeah, true. Um, so I think that they rely on him more for offense though than Bader. So I think that, but we talked a little bit about Tyler O'Neill, but I'll take it. Uh, next one, let's see what we got here. Take it or leave it. Mac Jones is one of the first four quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft. Uh, I'll take it. I think that's kind of starting to trend that way. The way you're seeing, you know, coaches and teams talking and the lead up to the draft and kind of crazy that the draft is almost you know upon us already you know seemingly just about a month or so month and change away from the nfl draft already and you know teams are already kind of starting to look at that yeah i'll take it i think he'll be up in that group so right now looking at the uh the top quarterbacks the nfl draft uh todd mcshay's top first round i guess projection mock draft is what you want to call it he has trevor lawrence going one zach wilson going two and That's very has, surprising to me. He but. has Justin Wilson, Justin Wilson, Justin Fields going three, and then he has Trey Lance going four, and then he has Mac Jones going at I want to say nine. I would personally think nine. I would I personally think, want Mac Jones over Wilson or 
<laughs> I think that Jones will end up going over Trey Lance. And Trey I Lance, think that yeah. I right I I understand the projection and why he has Lance over there. There's a lot of potential. It seems like NFL teams are really high on Wilson, and I really don't understand. There was a lot of potential, you know, talking about Trey Lance in him, and I think there is potential in Wilson also. But I think that Mac Jones is going. Mac Jones, I think, is more of a surebred guy, or a sure, a sure. I'm trying to think of like the correct pronunciation or the correct wording for this, but the most sure guy. Purebred. Besides, yes, Uh besides. Trevor Lawrence, I think he's the most likely guy to have a quick success in the NFL. And I think that teams are going to recognize that, and I think that he will go probably top 10 in the draft for sure, but I think he will be one of the first four quarterbacks picked. I wonder if NFL you know, management has that thought of how Alabama coaches or Alabama quarterbacks often haven't really translated in the NFL and say you can't really think of many. Obviously, we have Tua. Like Tua Tagovailoa is probably one of the few you know that level Jalen Hurts yeah on the verge maybe yeah say because a, you know, a lot of times that Alabama I mean you know we obviously I think we'll, we'll answer that Jalen Hurts question probably this upcoming season yeah but uh you know Alabama Alabama quarterbacks haven't always really had that success at the highest level so it's kind of interesting to see maybe if that's you know playing in the mind of those NFL execs at all let's go ahead and let's keep moving here next one take it or leave it slu squeezes into the ncaa tournament i take it they looked really good yesterday in a 10 tourney play against at, um who did they play umass umass that's right and they it, beat them they beat them good too yeah say that game was not close from the outset i think slu had a 10 point lead after like five minutes of, of the game and never really looked back uh yeah i i like slu in that a 10 i think the a, the a 10 is a really tough conference and they beat the crap out of each other all season and slew missing a month of the season because of covid didn't help they got saint bonaventure today yeah, it's a big game big game they're the top seed i think if they win it i think they're in regardless yeah i, I mean i think i i think they need to win this tournament to get in you i think so I, I think that just having that big layoff and that big amount of time off kind of that See, affected, I think, that I affected think that, their record and they were so i think average. that might play into their favor honestly Yes, yeah, so they know, might get a little more have, favor. You know, the, now they've gotten, I, and we've talked about this. We, Slu may have gotten hit with COVID the worst out of anyone in the country. Yeah, potentially I mean, bad. I'm mean, like 34 days off or something like that. Now they're finally starting to get into consistent play again. It'll be interesting to see. And the winds are coming. The winds are coming. I mean, if they can win today, will that be enough to prove to the committee? Right now, I think they're in the first four out which they've moved up. Last week, they weren't even in the next four out. So they've moved up drastically just this week. It'll be interesting if a win against the top seed in the um, in the A-10 is enough. I think they'll be just on the hair, just on the edge outside. Even beating St. Bonaventure, you need that berth. You need that... You need to, you know... Leave the question out of the picture and just win the A10 tournament. Just and be get, safe. Just just win it. May as yeah, well, just win right? the tournament. Get the automatic bid. Don't worry about it. I'm gonna take it. Also, though, I think they squeeze in. I I like the way they're playing. I think that this team has proven at times this season that they are the best team in the A10. Uh, it's just they were the best team and then they were not for a while after COVID, and now they're starting to almost try and prove themselves again. Like, hey. We deserve to be in the top of this consideration. And this is where they could have been probably all season with a full, healthy probably, season. Probably, probably. Uh, so next one here, uh, take it or leave it, the Blues will finish in the top three in the West Division. Top three is really tough. I think it's going to be just about there. I think, I think I'll think i take it. I think that 
you know, the Blues in this, you know, I think this tough stretch where they've been dealing with these injuries and they've still managed to win hockey games is, you know, that's a really great sign looking ahead for the Blues. Unfortunately, you know, we've talked about this before on the show. Your back half of your schedule is now loaded with games against Vegas and Colorado because you couldn't play those games while you were, you know, while they were in different quarantines and you were playing a, you know, three week war against the Arizona Coyotes. But, you know, your back end of your schedule is going to be heavy with games against the top two teams ahead of you, and that's you know a great chance to make up ground in the conference in the division. Right. And I think that yeah, I think the Blues have the have what it takes to get to that third spot. Right now, they're in the fourth spot. Yeah. They're behind Vegas, Minnesota, and Colorado. Yeah, Minnesota's play I think is more surprising. I agreed. I think that Minnesota will slow down. Yeah. I don't. I think that if any of those teams is to drop out, I think it'll be Minnesota, which I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, I'm I think gonna, that's but the this prediction. is but it, but it, it's almost like a question of if a team drops out because everyone's I mean, playing you know good that hockey. Vegas and Colorado are going to be there, but will Minnesota be able to continue their play is going to be a question mark. The Blues have not played Minnesota yet this year. It'll be interesting to see how those games kind of go battling for almost that third spot. It's crazy to think just with the how the schedule's shaped out and how everything is shaken around that the Blues are you know our divi- regular division rival, the Minnesota Wild. We haven't even played them yet, and we're yeah. this far into the season. Um, that was our take it or leave it fan vote for this week. Um, that you can vote for that on Twitter. It comes out on Friday, um, sometime Friday afternoon, around somewhere around one o'clock is when it comes out. But uh, this week, the Blues, sixty-seven uh, percent of voters took that. Um, so the the voters agree and have some optimism for our Blues to get that um, to get that third spot at least. I'm gonna take it as well. Why not? Um, I like what I'm seeing. Maybe it's easier because they are in a four, on a four-game win streak right now, but who knows? Spirits are high. Yeah. Next one, take it or leave it. The Pittsburgh Steelers don't make the playoffs in 2021. I take it because I think that what we saw in those last so you know that last chunk of the season, maybe those last like what four or five games from the Steelers, I think that's the team that you're going to get more, you know, more more of in this season, more of in this 2021 season is a team, especially. I, I think Ben it kind of looks like Ben Roethlisberger sticking around, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily think that's going to help the Steelers' case any. And yeah, I I think that this there'll be a you know an, a fairly mediocre season by their their you know expectations. I think they'll be still a competitive football team, but I, yeah, I don't see them returning the playoffs. I think that. The Bengals will get better. I don't think that they will be a top team, or you know, I don't think they'll be a playoff team. But I think they'll get better. Burrow will be back. Um, they, they have a high draft pick. I think that Bengals could probably fight for like a wild card. I would say. I think that the Ravens will be a playoff team again. I think that I think the Browns are going to. I mean. We saw the Browns. Everything started really clicking last year, second half of the year for the Browns. Yeah, that division's just so tough. If that, if they can kind of start that off from the beginning of the year, it's going to be really tough for three teams to make it into. Because the, the only reason that the Steelers did is because they started off eleven and zero. Yeah, so helps. it'll be interesting. But I'm going to take it. Also, I don't think they'll get in either. I think there's just too much competition in that AFC. I mean, you're holding off teams like the Dolphins, and I mean. I would have picked the Dolphins to beat the Steelers at the end of last year, and the Dolphins didn't even make the playoffs. So it's kind of an interesting argument because 
you almost got two team like two versions of the Steelers last year. And you'll really have to see what the Steelers look like moving forward. You know, we'll we'll find that out in the summer and you know months leading up to the season. Next one, final one, real quick, take it or leave it. Both New York NBA teams make the Eastern Conference playoffs. I think I take it, and that's it was a I cool. love getting to take this because the Knicks are not doing bad for once. The Knicks which I don't are really kind of care because we you know we cheer for New York's Eastern Conference team. But it's kind of fun, like having a you know. The, it's like, hey, Frank the Knicks Nalikina, are doing well. Or Nalik, Nalikina, Julius I, I, Julius Randall. I'm probably just I'm, killing I'm, butcher, it. I'm butchering poor Frank's name, but uh, who yeah, thought he, someone from the Knicks would get an All Star spot? Yeah, say I think you know I think that yeah Julius Randall's had such a great season. I think you're really seeing like what he can do off like all over the court. I think you know this this Knicks team has been such. Yeah, I would say this Knicks team has definitely been the surprise of the NBA this season. So yeah, I'll I'll take it, and I think it'll be. I would really like to see them become that be a one versus you know maybe a one or two versus one or versus eight or two versus seven matchup Knicks and Brooklyn. I think they're the four seed right now. Yeah, but I think they will drop. Yeah, it'll, it'll balance out. I, love, I, that have we, to I love that we didn't even talk about Brooklyn. Like we just like yeah, Brooklyn's. Yeah, you know <laughs> they have. We know what we got. They have Brooklyn. like the three headed monster and all this and that. <sighs> Gross. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna have Cardinals talk spring training underway. What have we liked? What have we not liked? You'll find out in just a moment. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to travel through time. I bid you adieu. On this date in sports history, I'll first take you back all the way, almost 100 years ago, to 1922, where on this day, Babe Ruth signed a three-year contract with the Yankees at $52,000 a year, at the time, baseball's most lucrative contract. In 1964, on today's date, boxing legend Cassius Clay joins the Nation of Islam and changes his name to Muhammad Ali, which I think we kind of know him a little bit better by at this point. Uh, And just a few years later, 1967, on this date, Muhammad Ali is ordered by Selective Service to be drafted in the military, and he famously refused to be drafted into the military. And lastly, on 1985, St. Louis Cardinals legend Anus Slaughter is inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Retired number nine on the wall at Bush Stadium. And that is today in sports history. What did you say was the what was the salary amount for Babe Ruth's contract? Uh, at 1922 it was $52,000 a year. Dang. And to think that was like huge for that time. That was like you were making money like the president. I wonder and no if, one else did that. <laughs> I wonder what that compares to today. Because obviously like the amount compared to like I don't know what you'd say. Like the say, what, average, what was like, the league minimum back in 1922? Yeah, like comparing <laughs> it to like now, like what the average salary is of just a per, a random citizen in one America. Babe, one Babe Ruth contract is worth one Fernando Tatis Jr. contract. That's yeah. what my question is. Is it at, like how much has that percentage inclined to where like MLB players are making way more than the average citizen? Is my I mean at the time you got to imagine the average American citizen probably is only making you know very small amounts of money yeah, as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I just I'm, I'm curious what if the how if that has changed any because obviously like both have increased since that in the last what. 100 years i'm just curious how much like mlb one has increased also is that or what that looks like babe ruth was like the first baseball contract that really you know blew out of the water and kind of was he was the first man these guys get paid too much guy what a surprise that it came from the yankees too right i mean it just seems fitting honestly they they, they, they they, they created their own history you know what i mean they did no kidding 
Cardinals baseball is back underway. Games are being played, and it's on just, the radio at least. Just, well, I, I think that it's like twelve of the twenty-four are going to be broadcast yeah, on I li- television. I like, you know, there's no better sport to listen to on the radio than a baseball broadcast. No though. kidding, no kidding for sure on that one. Uh, so the Cardinals to start off spring training one, two, and two. Uh, I'm curious what you think on this, Nathan. What players have stood out to you as far as let's we'll start in a positive way. What players have started off, you know, stood out to you in a positive manner uh, this spring training? You know, I I've been looking so far. I haven't, you know, only got to, being able to see kind of stats and you know clips from games at times. I thought, you know, I've looked at Andrew Kisner's numbers at the plate. Andrew Kisner looks really good. He's hitting 500 this uh, spring already. I think Do you he, know how, how just curious how many at bats does he have? Do you know? It, it, you know, it's got to be small obviously in this yeah. first week, but I would say it's well, 5 uh, or 6 probably. It's probably I think it, I think it's like 8 or okay. somewhere in there, but you know, he's hitting the ball he's hitting the ball okay. It's again, it's very hard to predict entirely, you know, big picture based off of first week spring training against a lot of guys that are A ball, double A ball level. You know, replacement guys, especially when on some of these, you know, rotated spring squads. Obviously, you know, teams kind of alter a bit for spring and have their, you know, A and B squad or their split squads and, you know, games that are even happening on backfields. I've heard, I've heard Edmundo Sosa hit a really big home run on a backfield uh, this week. This is uh, the point of this baseball season where you're hearing a lot about guys hitting home runs that aren't on film, and you're hearing guys hitting about guys hitting long home runs in batting practice, and you're kind of just, you know, you're hoping this, you're you're optimistic. Obviously, like we talked about Harrison Bader last week, I think, you know, hitting a long home, a couple long home runs in BP, and I think the team is, you know, guys are being optimistic about Harrison Bader. I think, you know, you can have that optimist optimism almost about, you know. I think, you know, I looked at Kisner's at-bats and the at-bats I got to see. He looks really solid at the plate. And I think, you know, if you're looking at the Cardinals, and we talked about the Cardinals kind of needing some pop in the lineup, and, you know, Kisner obviously not going to be playing all the time, but probably going to be playing, I would say, more games than – I would say he's not going to be 50-50 split with Molina, but it's going to be somewhere around like 30%, like 30-70 somewhere. He's going to get a a good handful of games. I would say he's going to break 50 games started or so this season. I think 50 games is a little bit of a stretch. I could see I, more I think so. so they, need, they need to kind of make sure Molina doesn't break down over the course of a season. I think Molina is, at this point in his career, he's more accepting to I don't think role. he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I want him to be more accepting there, to that role. That sounds a little better. Because I, I, you know, and they have, you know, the media has been public about, you know, seeing this. Mike Schild has been public about seeing this. If Yachty's available... And he's like feeling good. He's gonna play. He wants he's to play. Go- he wants to play more than anyone in that locker room. I would be surprised if Andrew Kisner got fifty starts this season because of that. I think that we are more likely to see Molina start at I would say hundred and twenty games at least. I'd say is forty or like forty, thirty I think, better. I think forty in my opinion is a little bit of a better number. Uh I th- I'd see that being a little bit more likely. I think, I think he's going to get so substantial to time. Mid thirties, low forties. Without putting like a solid number on it, I think you're going to see a lot of you're going to see more of Andrew Kisner on this team than you saw of Matt Weeders. Which is which is a good if he and if he's performing like this, that's something you want to see because the bat has been something we haven't really gotten a large sample size of from Andrew Kisner yet. So if we're, he's able to perform form 
I like that. Kind of almost like a Tony Cruz kind of guy when he came up and was the backup for Yachty there for a few years. Because you talk about tough positions. Being the backup catcher to Yadier Molina may be one of the most difficult positions to do in baseball. Yeah, being the backup to a generational all-star, no matter you know what your team is. I mean, you especially get, when it's at catcher, because there's no other real position for you to play. Yeah, you, you, it's not not a third, first third baseman or a there's third only baseman one outfield the field, situation. You know? yeah. yeah, you can't you put can't put Andrew Kisner out in left field and hope for the best. It doesn't. It tends not to work out that well when you put a catcher out in left field. Um, yeah, you can you you have you you want to see that progression from him. You need to see that you know development and that offensive boost. You know, especially if, if he is, and I I assume for all intents and purposes, he is going to be your bench catcher this season. If you it's a very trust, good chance. If you trust his offensive bat, and you know, I don't think that Kisner is quite to the defensive level of Molina. Although I think he's a very defensive. What? He's a very ca- capable defensive catcher. No one is to the defensive capability in the National Tyler League. Tyler Heineman looked really Molina. good. He did, and that's also another interesting thing. I don't want to stay on this too long because I want to talk about other players, but, but he Tyler threw, Heineman... He, had a few, few gun, he gunned down a couple guys this week. It looked real nice. Tyler Heineman will be an interesting player almost to push Andrew Kisner to work for that spot and say... This isn't necessarily guaranteed because it wouldn't be necessarily the worst thing in the world if Andrew Kisner went down to the minor leagues and played every day. It wouldn't be the worst thing. I think, but I think Tyler Heineman being there almost gives Andrew Kisner something to work for. Like, I'm, I'm getting this, I'm getting this backup spot. That's my spot to work. So and I, you have to fight with this guy too because Heineman's proven that he's, you know, he, he's at least capable defensively. We haven't really got to see the offensive bat from him yet, but he's at least capable defensively, and that's. What the Cardinals obviously love so much in one, their catcher. One guy that I have enjoyed watching a lot this off, no, this, off, this spring training has been Alex Reyes. Alex Reyes has been lights out. Now, he's a reliever. He's only pitched three innings, but in those three innings, like his stuff has been absolutely electric. It's been what we expected to see of Alex Reyes three, four years ago, except he is, mat- he is maturing now. He is developed uh, in three innings of work, he has not allowed a hit, not allowed a walk, not allowed a, any runs or anything. Uh, three it's a lot stri- different than some other strikeouts. certain Cardinals pitchers. Yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, he, so three strikeouts in that. But the other night when the Cardinals got absolutely lit up and spanked uh, by the Astros and lost 14 to nothing, which you never like to see, even if it's in spring training. Uh, that's that's one of those was, where you say the game doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the few bright spots on that, though, to where, I mean, he came in there, had his two shutout innings, and was absolutely lights out. And I tell you what, I've talked about how I think he is more so they're setting it up to where stay consistent with him as a reliever in 2021 put him into a starter role potentially in 22. I think they want to prevent injury. And he said that it, he feels like he could be a starter this year, but it, he trusts what the team can do. It will be interesting to see what they do with Miles Michaelis kind of having this nagging injury now about his shoulder, I think, is yeah. what it is. And it's they all they did was they scratched him from a simulated game is what they did from a simulated start. It'll be interesting to see now you're not just – Fight, having a guys fight for one spot, you're having maybe at the start of the season fight for two spots. Could Alex Reyes force his name in there? It'll be a very interesting argument kind of as we continue into the season. But I tell you what, I really liked what I saw from Alex Reyes. And I, I really enjoy, you know, you, Alex Reyes can just add so much to a bullpen that already, we mentioned it on last show when we were kind of, 
you know, trying to decipher our lineups and our thoughts for, you know, the upcoming season, what we thought our 26-man roster could be. This, you know, you, you might have thought that the bullpen was probably a weakness for this team before, but now they're just seemingly just a plethora, such a great depth of arms in that bullpen. And there's a lot of you know, different weapons you can kind of go to. Some guys that have, you know, probably pitched above expectations, and now you're bringing in an Alex Reyes who... Years ago, he was expected to be this guy, and now you're finally getting that. Maybe it's probably too early to say, but I kind of wonder if the time away and the time off has actually been better and beneficial for Alex Reyes because he's been able to kind of, you know, be a part of the Cardinals organization, but not have the the pressure of you know performing in the Cardinals organization. He's been able to kind of learn and grow, and he hasn't had to. He's been able to learn and grow away from the mound, and now he actually gets to learn and grow on the mound. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in spring. But yeah, I think you know the, there, there's a lot to be you know excited about in spring training. Again, as I said before, this is the ultimate time of optimism for baseball. Yeah, completely <laughs> agree. And uh, man, I can't wait to continue to get into this season, see where we go with it. Um, I'm curious now as we move, I hate to do it, but let's just, let's look at it for a moment. And I don't think it's anything to be crazy concerned with at this point, but the Cardinals had a couple of guys that have struggled, you know, on the pitching side also to start off the year. KK Kim is one of the notable guys you kind of, take a look at at least and you say well I mean his numbers weren't good he came back through a little bit better in the second inning that of work but his velocity on his fastball was down and even he said he's not sure why which I think is something kind of interesting I think last year he averaged out around 90 miles per hour and he was topping out at 88 the other day yeah he's not blowing gas by anyone really. which he doesn't need to no that's but, not his game but I mean, when you're throwing that slow, two miles an hour is a big difference. And even he said he's not sure, you know, he's going to take some. That's take just a, simply not a major league fastball. He's going to take a look at some, unless it's Adam Wainwright. <laughs> Adam you, Wainwright, you have, Adam Wainwright have, actually hit 90 the other day. You have to have a pretty slow curveball to be able to compensate for having an 88 mile per hour fastball. Yes, hey, l- luckily for KK, I think his curveball or his off speed does go da- drop into like the 60s. So yeah. he still has that like pitch speed change. Even throwing a fast, I mean, even if the velocity is got down, that deceptive lefty kind of thing, but yeah, it'll definitely, um, you know, he he recognizes that that's something that needs to be improved on. They're gonna they're taking a look at it, and it, hopefully, I expect that to be improved, fixed. I'm not worried. It's one start. It's spring training. You're getting back up and running. There's no reason for anyone anyone to be concerned or anything with any of the bad performances that we have seen from any of the pitchers so far. But one that is interesting is Carlos Martinez. Carlos Martinez had a very bad, I'll just say bad. It was a very bad start uh, to spring training, which I think this one is a little bit more interesting because not wasn't long a ago... Fun, wasn't a fun one to listen to on the radio. Not when I long heard ago, <laughs> he just... I mean, he just finished throwing, and we all we heard about from the media was Carlos Martinez looked really good in, in the winter ball, and I don't know. It's just those kind of last one of those few things. sentence, those last few words in that sentence are a big, uh, you know, qualifier there. Looking good in winter ball. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so let's real quick just go through his stats. So he went an inning and two thirds, uh, allowed four hits, six earned runs, three walks, and hit a batter in an inning and two thirds. Sounds about right. Ouch. Um, listen, I want Carlos to succeed. I'm not concerned with this. It's I'm a Carlos fan. I it's, want Carlos to succeed. It's I think, start number I think one. He has de- I think he has really good stuff whenever he can figure it out. And he's shown in the past, it's 
seemingly been a while now, but he's shown in the past that like he has dynamic stuff and he can re- he has you know, really good bite on his breaking pitches. He has really good velocity when he finds it. So, so let's talk about this. We have a couple minutes before we go to break. Um, Hayden Reese, um, Hayden C from. Uh, Hayden C. from STL Sports Central there had, a, had a brain fart there for a second. Is going to be joining us um, in just a moment. But what, as far as Carlos Martinez goes, I think that there's probably a shorter leash when it comes to him from fans, at least from that perspective of. I think you know, fans have a much shorter leash on him than the you, team does. You look at him in 2019 and the the finish to the postseason in 2019, Game 3. I mean, fans were not happy with Carlos Martinez. 2020, even though he didn't perform much, you know, we heard all this stuff in the offseason. He's back. He's he's healthy for the first time in a while. He looked okay. He he struggled he, and when he was there. I, I, I wasn't impressed with what I saw from him. I think it was kind of obvious that he was never 100% at that, at, during the season. And I think that's been his big problem is just he's always been fighting and he's always been, you know, trying to fix whether, you know, trying to fix the, you know, his you know, movement or the way his wind up. Or he's been trying to, you know, he's been tinkering so much that he hasn't really been able to find that consistency that pitchers, you know, so desperately need to, you know, just act, you know, consistently put together great innings or solid innings of baseball. Yeah. So he hasn't really had that, been able to find that consistency. It's been a matter of having to change workouts and change, you know, approaches at pitching and tra- changing the wind up, changing the, sp- you know, li- little. You can see all those little tweaks throughout, like the way Carlos approaches the plate. You can see how those have changed throughout his career as he's kind of adjusted, and he's never really been able to. You know, nail down one solid form. So you're kind of hoping in this spring training that he can stay. You know, everything stays healthy and he stays fit. And as of right now, I believe he everyone everything sounds, seems perfectly fine as far as Carlos's health. So you just want to hope that he can stay fit, stay healthy, and you know, develop. You know, maybe get back on track for the regular season. You know, it's starting to look like they want him in that five spot, maybe that five starter spot. But if he pitches more like this, he probably will find himself in the bullpen. Yeah, um, I. It'll be interesting to see how it works out. There's plenty of time left still, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Hayden C. from STL Sports Central is going to be joining us. Really looking forward to that interview. You're listening to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. to the WLCA Sports Show on 89.9. Had some technical difficulties, but we're finally able to get a hold of Hayden C., the creator and the operator of STL Sports Central, the largest St. Louis sports fan page uh, in the city. Uh, super successful. Hayden, how you doing? Pretty good. Happy we finally got past those technical difficulties. Yeah, uh, no kidding. Uh, difficulties is a uh, nice way to put it. Um, Sorry about those again, but, uh, you know, as we kind of continue or look into this upcoming season, I'm really excited about it. I want to, before we get into the Cardinals, I want to more so focus on, uh, you know, you and how you got this uh, STL Sports Central started up. Um, When and why did you start STL Sports Central? I started it about four, almost five years ago in eighth grade. And I just felt like there was there was a Cardinals page missing, like someone needed to fill that role. Because at the time, there were similar pages for like the Yankees 
and like the Cubs, but no one really took over and followed the Cardinals as closely as the other teams or did a really good job at it. So I saw a gap in the market there and I just got lucky. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think that I don't know if you're giving yourself necessarily enough credit, um, you know, with with luck in it. But I mean, you talk about the recognition of that and being able to do that while you're in eighth grade. That's absolutely insane. Um, so kudos to you for that. You know, you, I know you're a college student um, right now, and I'm sure that that is busy enough as it is. So how do you go about dealing with the um, I guess the challenges of being a college student and trying to run this huge page at the same time. Well, it's a lot of planning and having having posts ready um, before the fact, and also having people that can um, help you out by making posts for you when you're not able to. Because it was already busy enough in high school running it. Now it's college. It's a whole different story on the ball game, but. Um, there's definitely been a, a little bit of a learning curve to getting good at it, but I feel like I've gotten better here recently. I say, hey, hey uh, Nathan Tucker here. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Cardinals are a big part of your site. Uh, now, spring training has begun. Have, is there a player whose performance who's kind of stuck out to you at the start of camp? Anyone you're, you know, kind of paying extra close attention to this spring? Well, I'm definitely paying extra close attention to Nolan Gorman and. Alex Reyes and Carlos Martinez because the like when Reyes and Martinez are healthy, they're some of the nastiest pitchers in the game. And then Nolan Gorman, I don't even know, he's he just speaks for himself. Being that young, switching positions and being as driven as he seems to be at that young of an age, it just seems like a recipe for success. Say, so, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think Gorman, especially at his age, I think he could definitely, you know, blossom into something. And I hope we get to see, you know, what he can do with spring. And you know, hopefully he can, you know, blossom like I just said. Uh, how long, you know, you, you talked about Carlos Martinez, and obviously he had a kind of a rough start. You know, had a you know rough outing in spring. You know, gave up gave up a handful of runs on some hits, plunked a guy. Uh, how long do you kind of wait till you worry about those performances in spring? Well. You wait longer than one start, which is <laughs> Cardinals fans aren't aren't waiting that long for Carlos Martinez. But um, yeah, the I pit, think the especially with Martinez, are out already. yeah. But with Martinez, especially, you need to give him time to settle in to pitching, especially multiple innings, because for the past two years he's been used basically exclus- exclusively as a reliever. So especially his arms not. Um, his arm's not fully ready to handle all those innings, and it's like his first start of the spring. But, but Cardinals fans are still still saying that he needs to be like DFA'd or whatever, which is insane to me. Yeah, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, definitely a lot of potential, and you're paying him so much money at this point. I mean, letting him go just doesn't make much sense to me. One thing that I am intrigued about is a couple days ago you posted on your page um, you asked followers to comment their most unpopular Cardinals opinions, uh, as to which you responded to your, your own post talking about Harrison Bader being overhated by Cardinals fans. Can you go into some details on your thoughts on Bader? Of course. Half my time spent on social media is defending Harrison Bader. So, <laughs> well, I think I feel like Cardinals fans way over, like, talk about his 
offense way more than they talk about his defense. And they, some of Cardinals fans don't even care about his defense at all, which makes no sense to me. Because when you're like arguably the best defensive outfielder in baseball, you can afford to hit a little bit below league average. And there's been two of Harrison Bader's seasons have been marginally above league average offensively. So when you pair that with his top-tier defense, you get one of the most valuable players on the team. And if he, if he um, gets a lot of playing time in 2021 and continues the offensive production he showed in 2020 and he continues his strong defense, I don't think it's a stretch to, sh- stretch to say that he's one of the most valuable players on the team in 2021. You know, one thing, you know, you talk about the struggles at hitting at times. One area that he has not struggled when it comes to hitting is against left-handed pitchers. Could you potentially see Bader getting some time at the top of the lineup against some left-handed pitching? I think definitely. I could see the Cardinals maybe platooning him with Thomas, um, Williams, or even O'Neal. But I feel like his defense is so valuable that if your offense isn't struggling, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by not having him in center field because there's going to be very few balls that are going to drop when you have an outfield of Bader, O'Neal, and Carlson. Yeah, I completely agree there. And uh, if you are just tuning in, uh, Hayden C., um, the runner and creator of STL Sports Central, is joining us. Follow him on literally pretty much any social media platform. He has it out there. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, at STL Sports Central. So be sure to follow that. Um, Hayden, you know, before we go into some trivia, we're glad that you agreed you'd be able to join us for some trivia. Um, the, you know, looking at this season as a whole, where do you expect the Cardinals to finish, uh, you know, in the NL Central record-wise? And then, um, who are your two teams that you would say are your favorites for the World Series at this point? Well, given their like their division, which isn't very competitive, I see the Cardinals definitely coming out on top with around, give or take, 88, 90 wins, which will be more than enough to take that pretty weak division. Um, now for the World Series... The Dodgers, like they're so they're so good year in and year out. You have to go with them, of course. But with the AL, uh, I really like the Yankees. And, you know, with the Astros, you never know. They might start cheating again. Oh gosh, that <laughs> gives me some. You give me the goosebumps thinking about the Astros and being in the World Series again. I really hope not. And I can. That is one thing I'm looking forward to is seeing fans in the stands actually to really give the Astros crap for the first time. I wonder <laughs> if any of that will, uh, any of that like pain or that anger will subside from that. I think we've kind of forgotten. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll the Astros got the best timing with the pandemic because they didn't get booed at all. <laughs> they they really year. did. I mean, we, they got minimal boos last year in spring training from that but i mean it was like what for two weeks so i mean i think that they'll survive and they deserve whatever they get so we're gonna go ahead and move into some trivia now so let's get it it's time for trivia i'm gonna ask you five questions the answer to every one of them will be on the wlca sports show 
All right, let's go ahead and let's get into some trivia. Hayden C. from STL Sports Central um, happily joining us for some trivia. So here we go. Question number one. There are three teams tied for having uh, selected the most quarterbacks, the most quarterbacks, yeah, in the first round of the NFL draft. Out of these four, which team is not tied for first? The Cleveland Browns, the Indianapolis Colts, the Tennessee Titans, or the Arizona Cardinals? Um, Ooh, that's a tough one. Titans. Uh, I'm going to go Cardinals. Question number two. Who was the last player before Albert Pujols with or with the Cardinals yeah, to win the NL MVP? Can you repeat that question? Yeah. So who was the last player before Albert Pujols to win the National League NL or the NL MVP with the Cardinals? Was it Keith Hernandez? Joe Torrey, Willie McGee, or Mark McGuire? I think I'm going to go Keith Hernandez. Got Keith Hernandez over here. Hayden, how about you? Willie McGee. Willie McGee. Question number three. How many games did Jake Allen appear in in the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs? One, two, three, or four? Uh, One. Yeah, I think one. Question number four. The New York Knicks are currently fourth in the Eastern Conference standings. When was the last time the Knicks made the playoffs? 2008, 2011, 2013, or 2015? Mm, I don't know. The East is pretty soft, so I'm going to go 2015. Uh, I'm going to go 2013. And then question number five. How many runs did the Cardinals score in the 2020 postseason. And this one is just adding it all up. Uh, no multiple choice for this one. No price is right rule for this, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll go price is right for this one, whoever's closer. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm like on first if it's price is right rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here tabulating it in my head. The 2020 playoffs? Yes, against the Padres. I'll go 11. Oh, you're way off. <laughs> way off. I was going to say a higher number, but I'm just going to go 12. All right. Well, how about that? You guys ended up tying uh, for of trivia, of course. 3-3 three to three is our score. So let's go ahead, and we will do a quick tiebreaker question. I usually tend to come up with these off the top of my head. <laughs> let's go ahead and go with... Um, let's see. For the Cardinals, we will see who can name uh, the – who was the – okay, so we said MVP before Willie McGee. Who was the MVP before Willie McGee? 85 was when Willie McGee won it. That was one of the answers. Who won it before that? Um, Person to answer Keith, first wins. Keith Hernandez? I'm just going to say Bob Gibson. It was Keith Hernandez, meaning that Hayden C. is our winner for this week's trivia um, competition. Congrats to you. You get the applause. You get the applause. So great job, uh, Hayden. Uh, Normally what we do is uh, the um, person that wins trivia gives a little uh, victory speech. So what do you have for us off the top of your head, victory speech? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'm just happy to take the win. (laughs) And represent the Cardinals 
with the victory. There you go. Representing St. Louis. Representing St. Louis well is uh, Hayden C. Um, go ahead and follow him on all social media sites, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Facebook, YouTube, at STL Sports Central. Thanks again, Hayden, for joining us. And hopefully next time we'll be able to get uh, the video chat working. <laughs> we'll get you on here so it seems a, a little bit more personal with you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It was a good time taking the win in trivia. There we go. Absolutely appreciate it again. <laughs> Glad I could help. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that just about concludes our show. We have uh, a couple uh, more things. We'll go ahead and just real quick go through our uh, what to look forward to in sports and some headlines we did not get to. Why don't you go ahead and start us off, Nathan, with what to look forward to in sports this week? Oh uh, Yeah, sure thing. Uh, you know, it's NBA All-Star Weekend. We didn't have any live NBA games last night because you got the three-point competition, the slam dunk contest tonight. Obviously, all the fun festivities. The game itself, not as big a show, but I love the dunk contest. I love the three-point contest. Uh, Cardinals got a day off today, but play tomorrow against Houston in Jupiter. First pitch at noon. Uh, the Blues are back on the ice tonight at 8 o'clock in L.A. facing the Kings on Fox Sports Midwest. And uh, my big, big event of the night, UFC 259. You have three titles on the line. Jan Blachowicz versus Izzy Adesanya. Izzy literally jumped up a weight class to fight for that light heavyweight title. Izzy is the welterweight champion. You have the middleweight champ or no, uh, Izzy was the middleweight champ, excuse me. I'm mixing up all my UFC belts here. There you go. Uh, Amanda Amanda Nunez defending her title tonight. Aljamain Sterling will be fighting for the welterweight belt. That's the welterweight belt. And yeah, it's just it's a biggest biggest UFC card that doesn't have a guy named McGregor on it, you know, at least for a couple years. And then, yeah, I mean, we talked about college basketball earlier. We have a bunch of top 25 college basketball today. You got Oklahoma State, number 17, against West Virginia. Number four, Illinois, fighting the or playing against the oh, number seven, Ohio State Buckeyes at 4 o'clock today, or 3 o'clock today, excuse me. Uh, number 25, Wisconsin, and against number five, Iowa, another Big Ten matchup there. Number 18, Texas Tech at number three, Baylor. I think Baylor's probably going to be a one seed. Yeah, LSU, Mizzou, Mizzou, you know, still fighting for tournament seeding. I think Sunday, you got Michigan. Michigan State, Sparty, you know, still fighting. Sparty on, baby. Sparty fighting for their tournament life. And yeah, excited for the big weekend in sports here yeah it's gonna i'm really looking forward to it if you um you know there oh, were a couple- and my nascar update really oh, quick yeah, give sorry it. Give P- it. pins oil 400 in las vegas tomorrow afternoon 2 30 i think it's denny hamlin's race to win there you go you heard it here first folks all right well before we uh finish it wrap it up real quick the arizona cardinals signing jj watt to a two-year 31 million dollar deal we didn't really get to talk about that this reunited week. with deandre hopkins there you go and then the minnesota vikings also released tight end kyle rudolph after a decade with the team the yankees manager aaron boone will be taking a leave of absence um, to receive a pacemaker he is expected to be back in just a couple of days though which is absolutely crazy to me um, the new york giants released golden tate after two seasons with the team um, in his return to new york and then the calgary flames uh, fired Jeff Ward after two seasons Bring with the team. Bringing back Daryl Sutter. Hiring back Daryl um, Sutter as their new head coach. I think that just about uh, concludes they, everything. And um, Blues fans might uh, be poisoned by the name Sutter, but uh, at least Blues fans of a certain age, I should say. If you remember the 90s, you might re- remember a Sutter name. <laughs> but yeah, after year, years away from Calgary, rejoining him. Kind of an interesting hire there. There you go. Well, that concludes our show from for today from Nathan Tucker and your host, Ethan Hannaford. Thanks so much for listening on 89.9.